Hey everybody, St. Paul here, and welcome to episode 16 of Music on the Run. And I'm in an airplane today, that's right, with my buddy Brad Heck. And it's uh, apropos because our next guest is in the Fearless Flyers and Wolfpack and has an incredible solo career. Corey Wong is next on Music on the Run. Hey everybody, St. Paul here, and welcome to episode 16 of Music on the Run. Man, I can't believe it. We This is our fourth Zoom interview here in the Peterson basement. We've been making music down here since 1958. A few good notes and a lot of bad notes have been played down here, but we've been having fun, and it is so cool to broadcast from my family home. All right, let's get to it. My next guest is an incredible musician, writer, producer, and artist whose career has absolutely skyrocketed in the last few years. For example, he plays with Wolfpack, Fearless Flyers, to name a few, and he has an incredible solo career. And he's one of the funniest dudes I've ever met in my entire life. Let's welcome the pizza man himself, Corey Wong. What What's up, man? Thanks for having me. I, um, I, thanks for that uh, flattering intro. Well, dude, you know, it's so funny because I've known you for a lot of years and it has been such a joy to watch a good guy and an talented musician like you having a great wave. Man, it's thanks, so man. fun. Really fun. I appreciate Where it. Where are you right now, by the way? You in uh, Min uh, Minnesota? I'm in Minneapolis. I'm chilling, dude. I'm, okay. uh, I'm at home. Yeah, as I have been the last few months. Oh, yeah. yeah so. Things have changed just a little bit in the last three months for every musician friend of mine. But you know what? You yes. never you never stay stagnant, ever. Yeah, I, mean, I try. <laughs> you know, I, one of the things about that is like, once I'm doing something creative, yeah. a lot of people think, or a lot of people go through their, their process and it drains them from yeah. things. But I really feel like, the more creative I am with things, the more creative I become. And then the more inspiration comes. So when I'm working on projects and when I'm working on things, rather than it normally, rather than draining me out, yeah. it feels like it fills me up even more. It's like a flower that blossoms rather than a gas tank that empties. Well, I'm sure you've got a million different ideas, but what's, what's cool about you is that you don't sit by yourself well, at least I don't think you do, sit by yourself and go, I got to do everything. Me, 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 me. You go like, wouldn't it be great to have um, Michael Bland on something? Wouldn't it be great to have Sonny on something? Wouldn't it be great to have Joe on something? You pass these nuggets out to different people and you bring people together like somebody else I used to work with by the name of Prince. He, he, he recognized people and he would bring the most unsuspecting people together that you wouldn't necessarily think would work. And I think you've done a great job of that. You're recognizing talent, bringing people together. And you know what else I want to point out to you is that you look like you're having a damn blast. <laughs> well, I am. I genuinely am having such a good time doing it. I sometimes can't believe that it's my job. You know, like I sometimes feel like one day I'm going to wake up and the bubble's going to burst and it's going to be like, joke's up. Yeah, just kidding. Yeah, you're, yeah we're, all right. <laughs> <laughs> Hope you enjoyed it. And, you know, oh, man. I have been. So um, I just try to keep, you know, uh, enjoying it and counting myself blessed for the things that have come and continue to come. And yeah, it's been awesome. How many records have you put out in uh, 2020, 2020? Well, I started January with a record called Elevator Music for an Elevated Mood. And that is one. Uh, that I mean, I had worked on in 2019. I, I kind of it's it's kind of a part two to the record I released before called Motivational Music for the Syncopated Soul. Right. So it was a kind of a two part series. I wrote a bunch of music, recorded a bunch of music over the course of like a year and a half. Right. And yeah, I'll, and it was just like I kind of have two collections of music. I don't want to pull it out. I feel like releasing a 20 song record is a lot to ask of a listener in today's day and age. True. And you well, know, that's and, smart though. I think. Yeah, I mean it's a lot to absorb. Yeah. So I mean I even noticed that sometimes when my favorite artists put out a, a record that's like 14 tracks, my favorite artists, sometimes yeah. I'm still like, oh man, that's gonna be a lot to get through. It's like, dude, just put the record on. But I understand the the I guess buyer psychology of streaming where we, you know, are are set like we have a set amount of time we're willing to absorb 
some material, you know, and it's different for movies and it's different for different types of art, whatever. Like, right. I'll, yeah. But, um, you know, like when I'm in a museum, I won't sit and look at one piece of artwork for 30 minutes. I have, but it's not something right. I regularly will do. You know, I'll normally, you know, spend a handful of minutes on each piece and then continue to move on in a similar way where I think people will absorb that amount of songs and then that sort of thing. So I started their year with kind of a part two record that mm -hmm. I had been working on the year before. And then I released a live record, Corey Wong and the Metropole Orchestra. Oh man. First of all, <laughs> first of all, that, well, let me see it. Let me see it. Pull it out. Show it, show it the listeners and the uh, video people. Man, that's just beautiful. Thank you. How, how does that? Because that I I'm I'm gonna do a gig with Vince Mendoza, who did the orchestration. Nice. Correct. He was the conductor. He didn't do okay. the orchestrations. He oh, we didn't conduct. Okay. Yeah. So so it takes a while to get to that point. So how long was that in the planning? Well, they emailed me. They reached out to me. I, I mean, I've been a huge fan of theirs for years. Right. Um. Just with so many projects, they they did projects with Schofield, Chaka yeah. Khan, Pat Metheny, Snarky Puppy, Jacob Collier. There's so many amazing artists that they've collaborated with that I've been a huge fan of. And, um, anyways, they hit me up. Their their artistic director emailed me and said, "Hey, we see what you're doing. We love what you're doing. We have this kind of future of jazz program where we want to bring in." budding artists to be a part of this and put on, you know, basically do like a small tour and potentially record the stuff, make some, you know, make a record to get, make an album together. And this was probably in April of, of 2019. Okay. And they said, yeah, we're looking to do programming. We do programming a few years out. So we're looking at maybe 2023 or mm -hmm. 2022, something like that. I was like, absolutely. Let me know whenever I'm down. And they're like, okay, we'll, we'll be in touch. You know, in a, about a year out, we'll start, or a couple years out, we'll look at material and we can start looking at arrangements. Then a couple weeks later, they said, hey, something's going on. We're wondering if actually you'd do this show six months from now. <laughs> Perfect. Like, yeah. I mean, I, I'm, I'm just going to say yes, because it's of course such a you fun, are. yeah. And it's like, okay, now immediately I need to start thinking of the material we want to do, right. thinking of how to do the arrangements and that sort of thing. So basically compiled a, a list of 18 tunes that I thought would work really well. My stuff and with Cody Fry, who was the special guest on that, who sang. And Cody's we just great, got cracking the on the arrangements. Yeah, Cody's amazing. I love, love listening to him. He's great. Yeah. So then I just emailed them the tunes, emailed them my rhythm charts, and then also... Michael Nelson's horn charts for everything. Oh, said, cool. Here's the recordings. Here's the studio recordings. Some of them have horns. Some of them don't. Then here's a live version with the added horn section. And then I gave a pretty detailed description like, okay, in the A sections, this is dynamically and, you know, texture wise what I'm looking for. B sections, this bridge, this, this, just to kind of give a pretty clear vision. So when the Rangers got to it, okay, this is what he's looking for, but also enough space in there for the arrangers and orchestrators to put a little bit of their own fingerprint on it. And it, it was just amazing. They had about four arrangers that just knocked it out of the park. Did they send you the arrangements back and forth? Did you get to comment on them, on, on them or did you just go out there and go, it's going to be what it's going to be? They typically, he said, so I talked to Vince Mendoza about it. He's like, yeah, normally they just do the arrangements because the artists are just kind of, yeah, whatever you think. But if you want to, we can send them to you and we mm. can give a little feedback. The majority of them, they sent to me. And there was a couple tunes where it's like, ah, this voicing is weird. Or yeah. um, there was one case in one song where it's like, ah, this, they were hearing something. They were really hammering on like a C13-9 where I really just wanted basically a straight up C7. So for all and, you runners out there, you don't need to worry about all this technical music stuff. This is, <laughs> yeah, yeah, don't yeah. worry about that. But um, there was a lot of, yeah, I mean, for the most part, it was like, this is amazing. This is great. And then uh, for those listening, you know, a conductor's job is to, to make sure that everybody in the orchestra is working together to kind of guide through that, but also through the rehearsals, acting in a similar way with me as a music director for everything that's going on. When, when he would see something in the chart that 
when we when we played it in the room, it was like, ah, this feels a little too thick here, or this is a little, there's a little too much going on. He was kind of acting also as a reductionist. Hey, should we pull this out? Or hey, should we make should we make them a lot quieter and that sort of thing? So between he and I, we started to do that. So Vince is uh, you know, in some ways he did help with the arranging just Got in it. his conductor position right. because he was using his instincts on the arrangements and whatnot to kind of get him to a place where we all felt like it it was working the best. Well, I commend you to be able that you're you were able to separate yourself. First of all, without freaking out, because what an honor, number yeah. one. Number two, to go, okay, I'm the featured artist here, but I'm going to sit back and critique and, and figure out exactly what my arrangement should be. I mean, that is uh, the true sign of a pro that you could separate yourself and sit back and make those critical judgments and arrangement changes basically on the fly but you had somebody in your corner who was yeah uh really helping you along too let's go back a little yep. ways first so you and i have known each other a long time man yes which is really cool and that makes the the, the journey for me watching you so much sweeter for me but you now you're not originally from minneapolis but you grew up here where, where well i was be? born in new york i was born in upstate new york in poughkeepsie okay uh, Vassar Hospital on okay. campus at Vassar U College. Um, mm -hmm. Anyways, we Oliver lived Labor there. went to college there, of all things. Really? He did. That dude's funky. <laughs> he is. That dude's sick. I'd love to see you two on a hit together. That'd be that, fun. We'll make that happen. I like that. Um, so yeah, I my my family only moved there because my dad... So my, my family is from Minnesota... My dad worked for oh. IBM for his entire career, but he was relocated to Poughkeepsie for a five-year period, and that's when I happened to be born. Got it. So family was there because my dad had to relocate for his job for a few years. I was born there. We came back to Minneapolis, basically but like before I started kindergarten. So once oh, I okay. started school, I mean, Minneapolis is home. I don't know a single person in Poughkeepsie. I have not been back <laughs> since, since we left, and- I right. couldn't name a single street or restaurant or the address we lived. So you're from Minneapolis? Yeah, or I'm from Minneapolis. St. Paul? Yeah. That's I grew right. up in Fridley. Oh, you grew up in Fridley, Fridley? Yes. Uh-huh. But uh, Minneapolis, Twin Cities, you know, it's, it. as you know, it's all. Yep. So did, how did your family react when you told them that you had this passion for music? Was your, were they supportive? Super supportive. Now, the neat, I, I don't come from a family of musicians. I have an aunt who's a musician uh, who like played in the church choir and stuff like that, played piano. But my parents are not musicians, but they're big music fans. My dad's a huge music freak. I mean, you've seen them all around the Twin Cities at, at uh, shows and whatnot. That's right. But he was a big music fan, so he was excited to, in some way, kind of vicariously live through me as a musician. His, his, some of his best friends... Oh, you know some of his friends. He went to high school with Scooter and with Dick Shopto and with Brian Peters. You gotta be kidding. See, I did not know that. Yeah, so a lot of these, and for anybody who's listening, these are some cats that play around town and have played on like session guys, all they, you know, Paul's friends of Paul's, of their uh, musicians in the Twin Cities. And That's my right. dad went to high school with those guys. Brian Peters lived with my parents when they first got married, I believe. Wow. Anyways, in the same house. Um, but so my dad was around music. He was a fan of all kinds of music. So he was really supportive. And, you know, oddly enough, when by the time I realized I should do music as a career, right. they were like, yeah, of course you should. This is, <laughs> this, yeah, you know, quit messing around doing your little science degree. Go play music. Wow. So let's go there. Um, you were at the University of Minnesota yep. first. Yep. Pursuing what? Well, when I when I was in high school, I worked for an architect as a drafter wow. and kind of an assistant. So strange thing. So we had a CAD computer aided design computer aided yep. drafting design uh, program that was really great, and I just absorbed all of it. I was I got really good at it. By the time I was in 10th grade, I had taken basically the entire high school's worth of courses and was really passionate about it, along with music. 
So I got a job for an architect because there was an architect that came to the job fair and I was curious about what that whole thing was like. So I worked for an architect. I figured maybe I want to be an architect. Then I did my first semester in college in architecture and it was not, I loved drafting, but I didn't love architecture. Ah. And, or being an art, what it would be to be an architect. So then I started, I, I was really into the science classes that I had. So I basically morphed over to like physiology and biology in that thing. And that's so elusive. I, I don't even know what I would have done. Hmm. Like maybe yeah. gone to med school or something. Who I don't knows? know. I'd still be in school now. Anyways. Right. Yeah. Um, but then it was like, all right, this is fun. This is cool. You were gigging this whole time though, right? I was you- gigging as a jam band. I had a band with my buddies from high school. And we oh, still okay. were just kind of playing around town that way. But I wasn't I wasn't out working. I it wasn't my career. I was teaching music lessons and stuff for for money. But then finally when I decided, all right, forget it. I'm transferring to a music college, go to music school, boom. That's when I started really just going full steam into the music thing and then started gigging. Got it. So you went over to McNally Smith, a college that is no longer yeah, I think active, but but uh, a lot of great musicians came out of there. Yeah, I'm trying to think of you, what our first gig was together. Maybe a, a gig with my sister Patty. I can't it was remember. Probably to be honest either with you. a Patty Peterson gig. Yeah, or one of the Starkey events. Oh sure, because I was yeah. I was hanging with Michael Nelson. I think maybe before we were hanging. Um, probably that, or maybe a session with Adi Yashaya. Somehow Who knows? I'm, yeah, Who knows? I feel like it maybe was one of the Starkey events that you were you were conducting on. I actually was, yeah. I was conducting yeah. for that, and it was always fun to have you on that. I remember one specific story from this, and I think we touched on this because thank you, by the way, for coming on, uh, on my EV takeover yeah. uh, uh, a couple of weeks back. That was really cool. But uh, just I think we might have told this story then about you getting on stage and playing with Gene Simmons, man, and he had a field day with you. That was a blast. What a, I mean, I don't know what Gene is like outside of our experience with him, but right. he was such a cool cat. Like he, he shows was, up, he's like, hey, kid, you wireless? And you looked at me, you're like, please tell me you're wireless. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, you gave me that look like, young man, you better be wireless. I was like, yeah, I'm wireless. Yeah, <laughs> he goes, bring you it. better get out here and come to the center of the stage for that guitar solo. And that was... <laughs> I mean, he, we had a riot, and yeah, it was he, unreal. He was hamming it up with me. It was so much fun. I have, I have footage of that somewhere. That if you don't have it, I will send it to you. Yeah, from rehearsal and all that stuff. Unbelievable. Yeah, that you was and fun. Gene Simmons. Oh, yeah. and you know where else? I don't remember if this was earlier or later, but we were doing an event at First Avenue, raising money for one of Bobby Z from Prince and the Revolution, one of his gigs, where atmosphere was late for the gig because oh, they were flying right. in and it was right. a thing with like quest love and princess maya rudolph right thing or whatever and um atmosphere was supposed to open the show and then mint condition and alexander o'neill and the, uh, all this stuff i was playing in the house band with most of those bands but because atmosphere was late they were trying to figure out what to do you were in the crowd and so was brian setzer that's right that's and they right. were like should we like, I think Bobby was scrambling, like, Brian, will you come up and play a few tunes? And you came up and played bass. Yeah. And I, I don't remember if Questlove played drums or who, who was playing drums. I can't remember. But I remember playing on stage for that. It was like, oh, my gosh. And you were calling the changes to these tunes. You were like, yeah, I, I, I know the Stray Cats catalog. I know the Setzer catalog. <laughs> Just look at me, man. Yeah, Obviously, I got follow you. me. Brian's got a guitar. He's going to do his thing. But when he says it's time, if... If you need to rip, rip. I remember you just telling me like, look, it's game time. And I was <laughs> like, I all really? right, I'm in. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's so funny. Well, you and I have had, we've had fun together. I remember oh, uh, totally. when I ran this college here in Minnesota called Minneapolis Media Institute, I was in need of a logic teacher and you were like, I'm game. Sure. So you came for, I don't even know how long. A semester, maybe, and so this is before two before the wave came your way. You were still working it all out, baby. And I think you know what's really funny about when I look at that, and I'm, I wonder how much you know. Uh, as you look back at these things, how much of that was uh, 
building you into being able to handle what you have going on today. You were juggling so many different things, doing that for me, playing in the bar scene, doing all sorts of different things. And now being where you are today, you have 20 million things on your plate. Do you think that that influenced you and helped you be able to handle where you are now? Totally. I mean, you touched on one of them, which is just learning how to juggle a lot of different things in a lot of different realms. Yeah. So it's one thing to be able to handle learning a bunch of tunes for gigs and memorizing them and just going out and crushing the gigs. But then also, you know, in the modern age of being an artist, there's a certain expectation of a level of being a producer yourself. And I had the logic skills just from my own college experience and working in studios and doing that for necessity and for my job. But having to explain a DAW to a group of students in a way that helped them understand it, try to inspire them. These, these kids were all working on pro tools and they were comfortable with pro tools. It's like, all right, I need to inspire these kids to see what another DAW could offer them and why they might use it. And what are some of the similarities? And then just really being able to explain it. That was, you know, in some ways a sales gig, because I'm trying to I'm trying to sell these kids on the totally. idea that logic is is a is a viable option if you right. connect with it or you know there's certain ways that I mean it it's cheaper it comes with a bunch of instruments and blah 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 whatever yeah, yeah, whichever yeah. you use doesn't matter but teaching it and explaining it explaining my process of producing songs in logic mixing in logic you know it was it was really fun because it helped me shed and really have to hone in my own skills to show it like okay mm-hmm. It's not just, I don't know, I put an EQ on this thing. It's, well, I use this EQ for this reason. I use this compressor for this reason. And here are some of the things that you can do to build your own software instruments or use the ones that are available. And it was really fun. Yeah, it it helped me to to just get the basic skills and also people skills in a different way that have always just, I mean, everything that I've done has been building me up to the responsibilities that I have now. Absolutely. And you're right. You know, by the way, uh, for those of you listening, what we're talking about here is the modern way of making music in a sequencer. Basically, that's what we do. We can make it in a computer. We can play live. So there are different types of or different brands of sequencers or digital audio workstations as they're known. So that's what Corey came and did for me. But after that, you and I, uh, I called you for a gig and recommended you for a gig with Brian White, and you and I had some fun with him, but more so, uh, I think that led you down to, was that one of the things that got you down to Nashville? Yeah, I mean, it's, there is so much of a, just direct line that goes across. I was trying to figure this out the other day. Yeah. I was thinking, oh, I should really trace all of these steps back, because you know, we met from whatever it was, we were trying yeah. to figure that out, and right. then you recommended me for this Brian White gig, and um, Brian then asked me to come do a cruise gig with him on the country music cruise. I went and did that for a week. And the bass player there was a guy named Walt Smith who was helping manage a artist named Jason Gray. Walt recommended me to play guitar with Jason Gray. I would go do shows with him. And then there was a festival that Jason did with a guy named Brandon Heath. I started playing with Brandon. It just, we, they shared a band. I went on tour with Brandon. Brandon was on tour and they used a house band for the three artists that were there. I eventually started playing with those other artists down in Nashville. And all of a sudden there was six or seven artists in Nashville I was playing for. One of those people, along with Steve Gould, who's a drummer from here and was playing with Sarah Bareilles, then started playing with Ben Rector. Between Steve and some people in Nashville, they recommended me to Ben Rector to join his band because he was looking for a fifth member or fifth person to join his his touring group. So then I started playing with Ben, started touring a lot more with Ben, met some of the guys in Wolfpack through the Bunkers thing. Like there's like two different avenues that have all led to so many different things. So you had a Nashville side and you had a Minneapolis side. Yeah. Two, two cities pulling for you. Yeah. Well, because for obvious reasons, you're talented and you are fun to be around. And those are two things when you're on the road that you need 
You know, you don't want to be with the guy who, <laughs> who's not fun to be on a bus with for 23 hours. And, you know, but you know, we have yeah. those kind of things. Explain a little bit about the Wolf Peck gig. And if you sure. guys don't know who that is, go to Spotify or wherever you get your music. Go check them out because they're a, they're a, an entity unto themselves. They're, they're incredible. So to, explain to me how that happened. Sure. I was playing, you know, for people that aren't uh, familiar, there's a club called Bunkers in Minneapolis. There's a, a band called Dr. Mambo's Combo that's been doing a gig for 30, 30 years. Some, yeah, 35 years, yeah. something like that. And, you know, Prince would come and hang out there. And some of the, you know, a lot of the band was Prince alumni, that sort of thing. And the guitarist, Billy Franzi, had rotator cuff surgery because he had a bowling incident. <laughs> we'll stop and acknowledge that so i was subbing for him for maybe six months wow i don't remember something like that because he was recovering and i was hanging out there already a lot sitting in and i would sub for him once in a while before that but while he was gone that was a time when some of the other cats from wolfpack were in town playing for another artist they came hung out that's where i met them and eventually we just hit it off as friends like i could you know it's that sort of thing where you can tell who the musicians are in the audience. When you're sure. playing on stage, you can kind of tell in a club who the musicians are. The way that they're watching the fingers and the gear and the way they're right. pointing and talking mm -hmm. to each other, you know who the musicians are. Right. I was like, oh man, these guys look my age, look like they would be my friends. I can tell they're musicians. Why don't I know them? They must be from out of town. So right. after the set, Theo and Jack, and I don't remember who else was there at the time, came up and introduced themselves we hit it off, became great friends, eventually started jamming a lot together. And then it just kind of all bubbled into friendship leading into playing more together and then kind of becoming a part of the band and that sort of thing. So yeah, it's it's funny because I think Jack, who's the band leader of Wolfpack, his initial intention was for it to be an internet band. Yeah. And it was just a is a YouTube act. I remember the first couple uh sessions that i ever did with wolfpack he's like all right guys let's remember we're a youtube act we're not a band we're a youtube act <laughs> <laughs> it's funny just because that's a good mindset to get in before that's inspiration for you yeah it's like it's a different like it's like oh yeah we're making a record but at the same time it's there's video and that's so much that's a big part of it you know and jack has had a vision for the band from the beginning and then eventually the popularity started to just grow and grow and grow and people wanted to see it live and starting a few years ago, started touring a lot more. Right. And then, you know, our, our last gig that we played was in September, which was at Madison Square Garden. So it's like, it's grown and grown from... Not one night. This, yeah. No, it was uh, just one night. Was it one night? I thought it was, you did Yeah, it was only nights. one night. Oh, no, I'm really But it was sold out. <laughs> Wait, now you're not signed. You don't have a manager. Or, I mean, what are... I mean, how does this happen? The internet. The internet's amazing. God, and I think also just like good music. Yeah. That. And we have Joe Dart, who's like the best bass player of our generation. By the way, please tell him I'm a huge fan. Would you? I will. Please yeah. tell him that he's, he's a bad dude. And just so many, it, there's a band of characters, you know, it's like, we're all our own kind of character on our instruments, but also in real life in a yeah. funny and cool way. And yeah. you have Jack, who is, a visionary and you know we the billboard and rolling stone articles are like this band sold out madison square garden without a manager it's like yeah but jack also really is the manager of the band Aha, okay. and you know we don't have a traditional management thing or and there's no label but jack runs wolf records which is its own independent thing hmm. with only Wolfpack and fearless flyers on it but jack really is a visionary and the thing that i tell people is you see somebody who is a complete master of their craft. You watch Chris Thiele play the mandolin. You watch Yo-Yo Ma play the cello. You watch Brad Meldow play the piano or Keith Jarrett play the piano. Yeah. The internet is Jack's mandolin. Is that right? He just gets it. Wow. And he he understands he understands the internet in a different way. And and that kind of is, you know, a fun way that that he's been able to express himself with the band and with the way that he's built it through the internet. And it, it, it's really, it's incredible to see because I've watched his ideas flow. I've spitballed with him 
so many, I mean, he's had so many ideas that I've heard him talk about that are brilliant. Yeah. It's like, I know they're coming and I'm just, I can't wait for them to come out or some that, you know, he's thought of. It's like, ah, I don't think that would work. And watching him go through that process and think through that, it's like, wow, you know, and that's inspired me and helped me learn a lot and start to think about the way that I do things on the internet. You know, it's like playing with other amazing musicians. It calls you up to a higher level. And, and uh, it's funny. You'll, it's you'll appreciate this. I'm going to interrupt you because I want to give you a compliment because I can tell that you learned from your experience there and you took it to a whole new level. You choreized it, right? And you, starting with your green screen band, go check that out. You guys go check out Corey's when we'll, please, before we get off here, make sure we know how to find you and, and sure. get all, see all your videos. But then you started doing uh, these things where you would do play live in the studio and do one camera, uh, whether Wolf started it or you started it, I don't know, but it would be one camera on a steady cam, turning it with a certain filter to look grainy and stuff like that. People all over town, hey, just Corey Wong it, man, just do that. So you became that guy. Which well, that's, like, that was yes. a Jack thing. That was part of Jack's vision, that single, single yeah. shot iPhone easy uh you know easy thing and then it it actually so that i started by doing the green screen thing i would spend hours making these videos trying to you know and developing a sound sure and a look right developing a thing yep and then it's like oh i should do some of these where it's the session thing where people just see you in the room right feel like they're there watching and those videos got more response than the ones that took me a ton of time to do so it's like, all right, screw it. I'm going to do, if that's what people are digging, it is so much easier for me to do that. And Isn't Jack, that he crazy? said that all the time. He's like, just do one camera. People will see the thing. And it also, it's, there's a different level of pressure, as you know. It's like, this is the take. It's on camera and we're recording it at the same time. It's going to be the take. So let's get it right. Right. Hey everybody, let's take a pause from the interview because I want to talk to you about a couple of things. Number one, if you like what you're hearing or seeing, do us a favor at Music on the Run. Please share these links. Please give us a review. Tell your buddies about us. We'd love a bunch of your friends to come along for the ride and get all these great nuggets of information. The second thing I want to talk to you about is partnering with us. It does take a lot of financial resources to put this show on. And if you'd like to help us out, go to www.patreon.com forward slash music on the run podcast. That's patreon.com forward slash music on the run podcast. And it will explain how you can help us. And of course, we've got some great incentives on there as well. Early access to podcasts and video casts, behind the scenes footage, and great music on the run merchandise. Go check it out. Now, back to our interview. And it, it, it works so well. And, and, and it's so funny because I come from the school a generation or so before you where everything has to be perfect. Mm-hmm. Perfect, 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 meaning especially visually. So you spend thousands and thousands of dollars trying to get this right. And what people really want to see now is the raw real stuff so yeah. it took me a really long time to figure that i'm like ah that's not me i gotta i gotta do it this way and i got my way and all these things like that <laughs> and then i've just did the one camera shoot it's beautiful man it's, it's yeah. it captures a moment in time that's real heartfelt and you can look at the players interacting with each other super super cool so my pocketbook thanks you for that i appreciate that yeah well, I, I mean, it makes sense to a certain degree also because it's like when when somebody feels like they're there and there's no doubt, it's just, it's the thing that's happening. That's, hmm. it, it translates, you know, and people connect with that. So it's cool to have it be something like you're saying that that is so low cost. I love that. <laughs> it's great. Well, you know, what's also cool about that is it captures your personality. Like I said at the beginning of the show, you are one of the funniest cat. You have the most infectious laugh. You have 
fun when you're playing music. You're a badass who doesn't take yourself too terribly seriously. Exactly. And it shows up in your branding. <laughs> But in everything you do, and I think that's an attraction to people. People love that. They feel like they know you. Um, I've gone to your live shows. You've explained to me over the mic how to get the best uh, frequent flyer mile situation going. I mean, you're a weird guy. I love it. And people freak out for that stuff. Is that yeah, something was, that's important uh, yeah. to you? I mean, it's just, that's just who you are, right? Yeah. I mean, that's. I, I learned over years and years of performing how to eventually just be myself on stage. Like I, I had a regular gig at the artist quarter, a jazz club in St. Paul playing with my brother too. Right. Yeah. And my I would be, Billy. I would be down there just playing, not really addressing the audience. It was just like, Oh, we're playing jazz. I just got to play. Mm -hmm. And there, there's a certain degree of that. Right. But what, what I wasn't doing was giving up a piece of myself as a person. Yep. And when I started doing that, People were connecting to my music in a deeper level. People were enjoying my music more. And then it was like, all right, I'm gonna I don't need to worry about playing the hardest and coolest, you know, the music that's gonna make me the baddest guitar player. Cause I felt like, oh, you know, I if I I don't know. Eventually it was I'm just gonna play the music I really wanna play, and I'm gonna be myself, and I'm gonna try to be the best version of myself as as far as a performer, to let my personality out. And to let my playing out in that way, eventually it's just started to grow in a thing. And for as far as performance goes, what I've watched and, and kind of found is that a lot of my favorite performers and the best performers, when they're performing, what you are seeing is this, is, this is what I've subscribed to. And it's been my interpretation of a lot of performers, is that what you're seeing is the full version of me amped up by 10 or 15%. Right. to really telegraph my personality. So mm. when I get on stage, you get Corey Wong plus 10 or 15% <laughs> just for the, just to really kind of almost, if even in my own mind, switch on like putting on the Superman suit or sure. the, you know, the Spider-Man costume. It's entertainment, man. Yeah. So it, it is though. Yeah. So when but I put on that persona, it yeah. is me, but it's just an amplified version of me. And then it, it, what I've noticed is that it connects in a different way. And I've noticed that with, with Theo from Wolfpack, with Jack from Wolfpack, who've been front men for their things. And yeah, I mean, uh, Ben Rector, similar thing. It, you see Ben for exactly who he is, amped up 10 or 15% for that live energy. Right. How would you describe to the people listening what kind of music you play? I mean, I have my ideas of what you sure. describe it as, but how do you describe what you play? Yeah, I've been. I used to have a good answer for that. Now yeah. I'm not sure, but yeah. the majority of it is guitar centric, funk, fun music to have a good time. Yeah. And I mean, for me, like my guiding light is joy, and to to help people to feel like they're having fun, to bring an energy of joy. So, I mean, it might sound lame to say joy music. You know, no. it sounds like something you see at you the mean. end cap of a at at Borders, but <laughs> yeah. Uh I don't know. It's it's instrumental funk pop music. Yeah. I but occasionally totally I have singers. Accurate. Say again? I said I think that's totally accurate. Yeah. I think it is. You know, you you talk about joy, man, and we by the time this podcast comes out, it'll probably be four or five weeks since the tragic murder of George Floyd in Minneapolis. Mm-hmm. And I want to point out to the listeners uh, the messaging that you've been putting on your social media. And can you tell me how this is all this this terrible event has affected you as an sure. artist and as a dad and as a human? Yeah, um, I like that you asked those three things: artist, the dad, and the human. Um, you know, it pains me to see on the, on a human level. It pains me to see something like that happen and see somebody get murdered. I mean, that's, that's traumatizing to some degree. And it's even more traumatizing to uh, people, anybody who's black in America who knows that that's a reality, yeah. that that is something that's more likely to happen to them than you or I. Yep. And there has been so much 
history of inequality and injustice. And, you know, it's, it was how many, how many times do we have to see something like that to happen before there's real change and to be for it to be down the road. I mean, that's probably like halfway where that happened is halfway between where you and I are right now. I know where you live. <laughs> I've rehearsed yeah. in that basement in that you room have. that you're sitting. So that's like halfway between where you and I are right now. And, you know, obviously that hits home in a certain way. And as a human, I feel like we need to say black lives matter because there's so much change that needs to happen. And I feel like for those of us that have a platform, it's important that people know how we feel important for us, for us, for us to tell people how they might be able to either donate to a cause or how they can in their own communities help out. Right. And I don't know there's, there's, at first, it was really sad, heartbreaking. It was really upsetting. It made me angry to see that happen. And then, you know, in some way, I don't know, it made me hopeful after seeing so much of the response. But we know that hope is not a strategy. So mm. it made me want to, to act on things and find out how I can use my voice as an artist and as a person to help the cause. Uh, I don't know. And then as a dad... You know, if this was the first time that I had talked to my kids about this sort of thing, I wouldn't think it would probably, I mean, for some people, it's the first time they're talking to their kids about this. Yeah. For me, it's not. And I'm, you know, am I happy that it's not the first time? I, I know right. that it's good that it's not the first time that I've talked to my kids about this because, you know, you've met some of my family. I have a Chinese family. Like I'm, we're the, uh, we're Wongs. Yeah. And they're my kids' cousins, my are, are, are mixed race. You know, we have black people in our family. We have Asian people in our family, native American people in our family. Um, so it's just continuing to navigate those conversations and helping them know what has gone on in history, why it's wrong. Let them know the realities of, of things that have happened and what are currently happening and why people are really upset about it. And why people have tried so many other ways to stand up for, you know, against these injustices and many of those things not working or many people just not being heard right? to why it is the way that it is now. But I don't know. I've been, I've been trying to, to wrestle with it and then just figure out like, okay, one thing that I can do is use my financial resources. So I'm giving a month's worth of all my income to a bunch of different causes and organizations and nonprofits and yeah, I don't know. I don't have an eloquent way to say it, but I'm just trying to, you know, learn myself and figure out how I can help make a difference. Education is such an incredible, uh, incredibly important part of that. I think education for people my age, people my parents' age, mm -hmm. kids, being a white guy who plays black music, I feel somewhat insulated as a musician because uh, the black community took me in like that. Mm -hmm. There was no question. And when we would have conversations, they weren't certainly about race relations at all. We just like show up, play the gig. And I've had countless conversations with Stokely. Uh, uh, he's actually my guest previous to you. And we talked, mm -hmm. he was one of the first people I called. I'm like, I really don't know how to help. I really don't know what my first steps are. And, 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 you know, I think there's a lot of people out there who feel the same way. What can we do? So it just isn't a part of the news cycle. And then it just goes away mm -hmm. that to me. And he explained to me, Stokely said, look, you just calling me and having a conversation. Number one means the world to me. The other people I've spoke with is get educated because there's so many things that embarrassingly I did not know enough about mm -hmm. so i'm educating myself which means i need to educate my kids i have grown kids my kids were on were protesting they were they knew more than i did they were like dad come on now let's go so they 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 were in the know but then you know i don't have grandkids yet but that talk that you're having with your children and the education that they need to know about i think is part of the change and you're right uh your ability to have a platform and to use it for good and for education and to put you putting your money where your mouth is 
by by donating a, a month's worth of streaming and your entire income, and you're a family guy. You've got bills to pay just like anybody else, and COVID has been making us, you know, sit at home. So yeah. for you to do that, man, is that that's that's really huge. And and you do you off the top of your head have the, the, the was it three places that you're designating money for? There's a bunch of them. Um, one of them was Equal Justice Initiative. One of them is the ND, NAACP Legal Defense Fund. There's I have my list here. Yeah, Let please me. do. And maybe we can include that in the links on the show as well. Yeah. George Floyd Memorial Fund, Black okay. Visions Collective, Minnesota, the Know Your Rights Camp, um, Holy Trinity Lutheran Church, which was like a an area where they were kind of a medic station and resource station during all the protests right. and everything in Minneapolis, a place where people could go and kind of something like a respite. And they were um, helping with resources and, and putting things out. A handful of things like that. Like there's, I put right. a bunch on my Instagram and my Instagram stories. I listed, I pinned them to my page. So if you go there, you can see. How, um, what is your Instagram it's at Corey J. Wong, C-O-R-Y-J-W-O-N-G. And yeah, and I wrote a little thing on each of them or just copied from their websites mm-hmm. what they're about and what they do. And I just felt like that was important to, to split it up between a bunch of different places. There's a lot of great causes out there, I know. Mm-hmm. Um, but those ones I seemed to connect with and seemed like they were doing really good work. So I'm down, you know? Oh, and, man. and yeah, I, like giving up a lot of income you know, or like a 12th of my income, you know, yep. by one month of the year, you know, I feel like it's the least I could do to stretch my own resources. If it means our family's a little less comfortable in our finances, so be it. And I'm just trying to use that as the example and yeah, just set like, yeah, put my money where my mouth is. This is what I believe in. And here's my commitment of this and not just this month, but a long-term commitment because as we know from hundreds of years of Right. things happening, it can't just be a, here's what's now. I really do believe that it's a long-term thing and it's, it's going to be a lot of reconciliation, you know, beyond not, our Not going to happen overnight, is it? Yeah. All right. Well, Corey, I commend you on that, man. That's super cool. And I, I figured as much because you, you are, 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 that's who you are as a, as a man and as a father and as a human, those three things again. So let me carefully transition into uh, music on the run. Okay, yeah. so you are on the road. Well, not right now, but you are normally on the road. <laughs> yeah, quite a bit. Now, what I want to know is, how do you keep that striped shirt in? You know, without a big, uh, uh, you know, ice cream belly going over the top of it. Do you do anything? That you have any special routines? Because that's really what the show is about as well. Not yeah. only getting behind the music. And behind you as a as a family man, but we want to know how do you handle the road. So fill yeah. us in on what a day looks like. Depends on who I'm touring with or how we're going around. With Wolfpack, we fly everywhere, and our schedule is pretty easy. Um, we don't travel with any gear in Wolfpack. I just bring my little pedal board and my guitar mm-hmm. and whatever other personal items. And like my laptop and just a little remote recording rig and my clothes, mm-hmm. whatever. So with that, it's pretty chill. We stay in Airbnbs together as a band because it's fun oh, to cool. be together. Oh, cool. A band house. Yeah. No. And we just don't get to spend a lot of time together. So anytime we are together, it's really special. It's it's almost sacred in some way where we sure. really, you know, start to feel more like a family unit. And... um. Yeah, with, with Wolfpack, we all eat pretty healthy. Yeah. And and when I'm on the road at, with Corey Wong, we yeah. I eat pretty healthy. With that, we've been traveling in a in a van and trailer, so that's a little more grueling of a process, and we're bringing around gear, setting up, and all that. With Wolfpack, backline companies will come, normally help set up the gear, and stagehands are helping get things going. We get on stage, sound check, do the thing, and it's pretty easy. With my gig... We're loading and unloading all of our own gear. It's a longer day, right? Mm -hmm. And if we're in a van, that means we're not traveling while we're sleeping. We sleep in hotels, wake up, drive for four hours, then arrive, load, and all that. Blah, blah, blah. But 
as far as on the road, how to stay healthy. I live a pretty healthy lifestyle. Like I try to eat mostly a plant-based diet. I, you know, if I'm drinking alcohol, I don't do it in excess. Yeah. You know, I like to have a couple glasses of wine or two beers, but I don't really go overboard. Maybe, you know, a couple nights on tour, we go out and have some fun, but it's never going overboard. And it's never, like we don't do drugs. Uh, I have a pretty, pretty strict policy about not drinking before the gigs or on the gig. Mm -hmm. I don't, I just don't like that. I know other bands feel way differently about that, but I don't feel like it's ever helping to be drinking before or during a gig. Yep. I know for myself, it has only ever hindered my performance. So <laughs> you um, think you sound great. Yeah. So I just, oh, I, I ask that of the band and it's like, okay, right. if you want to have a drink with dinner, sure, whatever. But I don't like to, I, it's just, I want everybody to be in a clear mindset and, you know, kind of sending that message through the rest of the band. I, I don't tell them they can't, you know, have fun after the gig, but mm -hmm. it's just when we're on the job, we're on the job. And when I'm on the road, I treat it like it's my job because it is. And I need, it's only fair to the fans that pay money to come see us, that I am in my best physical form and shape, that I'm in my best state of mind. And if I'm eating unhealthy, if I'm, doing drugs and drinking, I'm not going to be in my best physical shape and it's going to mess me up and it's not going to, it, I, it feels unfair to the audience for me to do that. And sure. I respect my audience too much to do that. So I eat healthy. I sleep yeah. at least eight hours a night. That's a priority. And sometimes it drives my tour manager nuts. He's like, <laughs> we have to hit the road by eight o'clock. And I'm like, bro, it's one o'clock right now. We're leaving at nine. It's like, but, but we're, I'm like, I need eight hours. Yep. And good for uh, you, man. So yeah, because I've prioritized that as well, it really helps. And yeah, I, I work out, I do yoga almost every day and I try to get on a bike. There's a lot of really great bike rentals, just like those city bikes mm -hmm. in most major cities now. So I can get out on a bike instead of taking an Uber to go to the coffee shop. I sometimes like to take a bike. Yeah. Those sort of things. Cool. That's super helpful. I think that's inspirational to people who are out there and trying to keep it all together because I know those are all stress relievers, especially yoga. Yeah. I, I think I've told you before, the, I'm probably the tightest man ever in life. And that, yoga isn't for me, but running is for me. Yeah. So maybe one day when I grow up, I'll uh, try to yoga. You know what I mean? Yeah. The other, the other thing that I noticed about you is that you have you, your family unit is so important to you. Explain to me the team methodology of when you go on the road and how that all works. Uh, well, a lot of it I learned from you directly. <laughs> we had so many conversations as I was starting to tour. You know, you were one of the, the main people I was reaching out to asking like, look, man, I want to make sure that I can keep this thing together. You've done this for a lot of years. What's some advice? And you gave me some great advice. A lot of it being, I think the main one, the overarching principle is, I'm not leaving town because I don't want to be with you. I'm leaving town because this is part of my work and I need to play in different cities. I can't just play in Minneapolis every night. And I'm not leaving town because I don't want to be with you. I'm not leaving town because I don't love you. I'm leaving town because this is a big portion of my job. And just for my kids and for my wife to know that obviously is a huge thing. And then for the communication to be open. My wife is really great. Uh, we're fortunate that she's kind of a classic firstborn of three. She can run the house. Right. She's, you know, thrives in that environment and, you know, is, is comfortable running the house. Of course, it's easier sometimes when I'm around. Sometimes. And, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> sometimes Trust there's me. a reacclimation period when yeah. I'm, when I'm coming back from tour for her, the kids and me. Mm -hmm. And, you know, just trying to, Navigate the communication when I'm on the road, not always the best, but again, it's just some of those principles of, of why I'm doing what I'm doing. The family unit is so important. I mean, and, and I'm so happy that I was able to give you a couple nuggets here or there, man, but it's, it's all about, it is all about communication mm -hmm. and, and divide and conquer and for the good of the many, as Spock would say, Yeah, you know, um, you have some really fun thing that you've been doing. I mean, uh, you've been doing so many things. Your own thing, Wolfpack. 
uh, Fearless Flyers. But tell me briefly, because I'm going to let you go here, because I, I want to be good to you here with sure. your time. Talk to me about the Late Show with Colbert. Yeah. So How I met John Batiste, who's the music director, band leader for the Late Show. We met on Live from Here. Right. Yeah. With Chris? Yeah, with Chris Thiel. Thiel? Thiel, yeah. Thiel? Yeah, I am not, can, can never pronounce his name. Sorry. Um, so what was Prairie Home Companion? Chris Thiele is the host of that, but there was a week that he couldn't make it or something. John Batiste was the guest host, and I was in the house band, and we just hit it off immediately. I showed up to rehearsal, to sound check rehearsal, and it was him and a couple other guys. Not everybody was there yet. I started plugging in, playing. He turns around and goes, ooh, nice. Boom. <laughs> we didn't even say hi yet. Like He was right. playing on the piano when I walked in, just kind of figuring out some of his own stuff. I plugged in, started getting my thing going. We just connected immediately musically, and then we hit it off on a personal level, started doing some collaborations. We talked about working on some tunes together for my record. He was mm. saying he was working on some of his own music he wanted me to record on. Wow. And he invited me to start playing on the late show with him. And eventually it just led to, Oh, you should come out for the week, just play on the show for the week. And then, you know, it was eventually like for a while, it was basically one week a month that was going out there and playing, which is really fun. I like wow. doing that. You know, it's, it's a different, it's different than the routine that I have here. Like there's a whole routine there. And right. it was fun to jump in for a week and do that. So you also just came out with a podcast yourself called, is it Wong Notes? Wong Notes. Perfect, of, of course. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about that. That's sponsored by Fender, I believe. Yeah. So it's presented by Fender and Premier Guitar Magazine, which is super fun because- Wow. Good for you, man. That's so yeah, great. Yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing. I can't believe it. It's really fun uh, that they asked me to be the host for this thing. And to just get to interview so many of my heroes, like George Benson is my hero. And they, he, they well, came and to me he, and they're he's like, he's an right. amazingly nice guy, by the way. Yeah. You've worked with him a ton, haven't you? Yeah. And it was just, it, they were like, all right, here's our t top five list. Give us your top five list. And then we just hammered away at that, found some other people that we were really interested in. And we have, you know, we, this first season is 12 episodes, like yep. getting to interview Benson, Eric Johnson, Satriani, you know, there's so many amazing musicians that I got to interview, Bela Fleck, you know, it's like right. just insane to be able to have, have these conversations with my heroes Yeah, with, you know, talking about guitar stuff, talking about being an artist. And a lot of what this podcast is, I'm not just asking questions that Premier Guitar or Fender wants me to ask. They're like, ask, it's your podcast. Do whatever, ask them whatever you would want to ask. So them. you're being curious. Yes. That's it's, all you're it's doing. You're like, I want to know this. that I want to yeah. ask them. Of course. You know, and so of much course. of it is about artistry and how they found their voice, what it means to be an icon or a legend on an instrument. And, and how do you, in some objective way, get to that, you mm. know, and, and how do you, sub, in the subjective way, how do you, how does something become somebody or something like they've become so and also I, stories Spencer has stories yes he does hey do you do you notice since you've done so many of these now as well I'm, I'm always looking for a common thread and I'm going to ask you the same question when we get done here but what is the one thing that these artists these successful artists have in common why are they where they're at what do you think that is there one thing that is the thread for being successful beyond just an insane amount of dedication and calling. I think for most of them, it's finding their own artistic identity and voice. And that's what I ask a lot of them about. It's like, how do you develop your voice? What is it that makes some, you know, when I'm asking people, what is it that makes a guitar? Like what makes an iconic guitar player? What makes, somebody a legendary guitar player so much of it is just like they have a thing and mm -hmm. they have a voice and they have a sound they have something that uniquely when you hear it it's them when you hear george benson you know it's benson when you hear john schofield within three notes you know that it's schofield or you know if it's somebody 
doing the Schofield thing. And it's like, I know if it's somebody doing the Schofield thing or if it's Schofield. The fact that there is a Schofield thing is insane. Yeah. The fact that I guess can what? identify what? when it's him, that's insane. You guess what? There is a Corey Wong thing. There is. You found it. <laughs> Dude, you found it. And that, that could be the hardest thing an artist, believe it or not, has to find. You think that yeah. just comes. Well, the talent may come. But when we grow up, we listen to such a wide array of people and we emulate, 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 mm -hmm. emulate. But then what exactly becomes your voice? Corey, you found it a thousandfold, man. And I'm just so proud to call you, you my buddy and to watch what you've, what you've done in, in such a short amount of time. It's not like you didn't pay your dues. Now, I'm not saying that because yeah. I know you did. But it's just been such a pleasure to watch you um, succeed, my friend, really. Let me ask Thanks, you man. one last question before we get out of here. What, since we might have some uh, some young musos on there, give them some advice. Give them, how can they do what you do? Sure. Well, like you said, I, I do feel I'm very fortunate. I do feel like I finally found my voice and my thing. And I didn't realize it until I played on some records and some of my friends like Theo from Wolfpack one day called me. He's like, dude, I, he left me a voicemail. He's like, Hey, uh, we don't need to chat or anything. I just wanted to say, I listened to the new Dave Barnes record and I know that it's you on guitar. I'm not asking. I'm telling you, I know that it's you. You have a sound, man. You have such a thing. That's so cool. I knew within yep. seconds that it was you. It's like, yep. wow, that's cool. And I had so many of my other friends just say, the same thing when they've heard me on other records or when I'd be at sessions and people would say, Hey, just give me your Corey Wong thing. Do the, do the Corey Wong thing. You know, it's like, <laughs> See, Oh, okay. I told and, you. It was like, wow, that's yeah. really cool. And the thing about that is that the encouraging thing and the piece of advice that I would have to young musos is I didn't have that until I was 31 years uh -huh. old. I wanted it so bad. When I was 22, I wanted my voice, but I was exploring other things. I was trying to sound like Pat Metheny. Then I was trying to sound like Prince. Then I was trying to sound like, I don't know. And, and I, I tried to learn and absorb all these other voices, all these uh -huh. other identities. And eventually what I realized is that my own personality should come out in my playing. And well, actually it was a, one of the top, one of the most pivotal things was at bunkers. Michael Bland looks over to me after set break, him and Sonny T were playing and we were jamming super fun thing. He's like, Corey, come here. And you know, how Michael is, if he likes you, he's going to be ragging on you. That's his way of like uh -huh. letting you know you're in is if he's, if he's pushing your buttons, trying to make you better. And he goes, Corey, you sound amazing. Whatever. You got to work on a few things. Look, Quit trying to be up here sounding like Prince. If Prince comes in here, he doesn't want to hear you sounding like him because you're never going to sound as good as Prince. You sound great, but you're only going to sound as good as you are at being you. And he really encouraged me to just like mm. quit trying to sound like somebody else. Try to sound like me. And right. he was ragging on me for a while about that. And it was like, why did I not just know that? And yeah. sure. I'm an amalgamation of all my influences and all the other voices and things that I've absorbed, all the Benson licks I've learned, all the Schofield licks I've learned, all the mm -hmm. Prince material, all the Paul Jackson Jr., Dave, David T., you know, there's so many things that I've taken in that eventually are now my voice, you know, that, okay, if I didn't learn all that Green Day material or Weezer material and all the Prince material, I wouldn't sound the way that I do now. So That's right. You know, it, 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 it is a journey, to, as cheesy as that sounds, as cliche as that sounds, to find your own voice. But if you don't feel like you have your voice and you're 22, 23 years old, it doesn't mean you're not going to find it. You know, you know this full well. It's, it's going to take you a lot of time to get to that realization or the sooner you realize, all right, I'm going to find my voice. This is what makes me unique as a person. This is what my guiding light is. This is what I want to mm -hmm. say, not just as an artist, but as a person that's going to influence your sound. And then just to 
to have a relentless pursuit to find what that is and hone that. All right. Killer advice. Bro, thank you so much for spending an hour and, what, 10 minutes with us? I, of course. I know you're busy, but uh, it's so fun to chat with you, man. And, it, and I know my listeners are going to eat this up. What a, what, a, what a fun time to spend with you. Thank you, Corey. Thank you, man. Anytime. I'm excited yeah. about... I've, I've, I started uh, today, I was starting to listen through the Dave King episode, and I got to get through that one. But you two need to get together, by the way. You're both absolute knuckleheads. You need to I'm hang. intimidated by Dave. He's such a strong personality. I've, and I grew up, I was as a teenager going to the artist quarter and seeing Happy Apple in the front row, just like, oh my gosh. He's insane. He is, he's quite, we, we should have a little maybe a. Uh, Minneapolis music on the run hang you're in the backyard. You know I what like it's that. all about back there. We'll have a little like barbecue, that. a little celebration. Tell yeah. us where we can find you, Corey. Give us all the social media. Yeah, I'm on Instagram. I mean, you just search my name on Instagram or Facebook. I got a YouTube channel, all kinds of videos and whatnot. All the videos <laughs> that Paul was talking about from the ones that took me tons of hours to the ones that right. are just one shot on an iPhone that you just sync up. Uh, right. Yeah, I mean, I'm on all those platforms. Find me anywhere. Beautiful. Thanks, Corey. That's episode 16 of Music on the Run with my buddy Corey Wong. Thank you so much. We'll see you in two weeks. Ow! Music on the Run was hosted by yours truly, St. Paul Peterson. Edited and produced by my buddy, Davide Razo. Video editing by Ivan Sebastianov. And a very special thanks to the people who financially support this podcast. And remember... Music is a real job. <laughs>